you're rocking the, the jet green right now. Adam Sandler. Right. Number one, you were Rich Eisen. The second movie, I see Brad Hirschberg <laughs> being your father. Dennis Miller. The autumn wind is caused by global warming. <laughs> Uh, a legend in the booth, Jim Brockmeyer. I do love watching Tebow play. I mm-hmm. gotta say, he just he combines all the fiery leadership of Ray Lewis with the uh, with the throwing ability of Ray Lewis. <laughs> and uh... I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast. I am your humble host, fresh back from New York City and the NFL Draft. Well, actually, not so fresh. I'll be very honest. (laughs) It's almost 30 hours of live television sitting on one's butt in Radio City Music Hall uh, for a three-day period. Um, And then, of course, flying back from Los Angeles with two kids. My wife and children came to New York. Uh, That doesn't leave somebody so fresh. But uh, what a blast. What a blast. The 2012 NFL Draft was um, on NFL Network and through NFL Media, NFL.com. We all we all loved it. And it was just uh, as as great as ever and unprecedented, quite frankly, a three hour first round, a breakneck first round um, for which the drama was reinserted because we did not show a single prospect on a telephone. How simple a fix was that? I still think that the phone call between the uh, the team and the draft prospect that the team insists on making before the commissioner um, makes the pick still is extraneous, and that phone call can be made afterwards. But a team, as we've mentioned before, uh, refuses to give up that right, and the commissioner, as you said on our podcast last week, uh, said that the team feels the need to have to have an open communication with whatever the, whoever the draft prospect is before they draft him. Uh, I've been told by talent evaluators that the reason for that is they want to make sure the kid is not hurt or is still alive, that uh, on draft day that the kid is still as draftable as they've assumed he was the night before. Uh, regardless, just removing that from the television coverage made the first round Awesome. Now, the concept of being behind a couple of draft picks as the draft was because of how fast things were going, because of all the trades that went down, 16 of the 32 picks of the first round changed hands. So many trades went down on Thursday night that it created a backlog of picks at the podium. There was a gridlock at one point. Justin Blackman is being introduced on the stage, hugging the commissioner as the newest Jacksonville Jaguar, fifth overall. The Jaguars were traded up from seven to five to make that selection. Tampa moving down from five to seven to make that selection. Justin Blackman was on the stage. Dallas had just moments before struck a trade to go from 14 to six. St. Louis moving down again. They struck the original draft trade the mother of all draft trades in this 2012 draft, and also for years to come to move from two down to six with the Redskins who who chose RG3. The Rams had moved from six down to 14. Dallas hopped up from 14 to six. They had already made their selection. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers who moved from five down to seven, they had already made their selection. And the fifth overall pick is the one being introduced on the stage. So as Blackman's up there, not only... 
was the sixth overall selection submitted. The seventh overall selection had been submitted. And the eighth overall selection, the Miami Dolphins were on the clock. And that's the story that we've been talking about the last two months. Would Ryan Tannehill be available at eight? He was. And would the Dolphins go ahead and take him? They did. But all of that is playing out at once. All of us in the truck and NFL Network and all of us on the stage, our heads were popping off our necks. And here it was last year where we were being accused of being too far ahead of the actual picks because we're showing kids on a cell phone. We removed that. Now we're behind. And people are tweeting their heads off, including Paul Allen, the owner of the Seahawks. So if you wanted to know the picks, you just go to Twitter. And that's why I don't understand people complaining that people were tweeting out the picks. Why are you on Twitter if you don't want to know anything? It's the most lawless information dissemination outlet out there. So I don't have any problems if people are tweeting out the picks. If you don't want to know anything, don't be on Twitter. <laughs> At any rate, so this was all happening. So that's that's the next tweak that the league is going to have to do is to is to make sure that whoever's on the clock is just the pick after the one that's just been announced. And I think the problem is is you know, now that we're not showing the kids in the green room, um, they're and they're hearing it. You know, they 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 still had heard it beforehand. They're still getting the phone call. But as soon as we show them, they're hugging their family. They're 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 doing X, Y, and Z, which is great. But some of them, I mean, it's like David Ortiz Cadillacing around the bases after hitting a home run. Some of them are taking their sweet time coming out, and you know, it's their crowning moment. It's their crowning achievement. I get it. Congratulations to them. But I think Don Terry Poe may have taken three minutes to get out of the green room after the Chiefs shows him. And when they come on the stage, they hang with the commissioner. The families come out, and they take photographs. And then they invariably talk to Dion for us or Susie Colbert for ESPN or some variation thereof, combination thereof. And by that time, uh, another team has already made a trade. And when you make a trade, you know who you're trading for, so you don't sit on the clock after you make the trade. Boom, pick is in. And that's how I think the league got behind a little bit. That's how the draft got behind. And I think there may be a fix to that where there's a clock on the kids coming out of the green room um, or they're rushed or it's just like, hey, they're told beforehand, as soon as you're picked, get out there. And then when the family comes out, there's some designated photographer from the league. Just like when you go to an amusement park, you want a picture. There's a designated photographer. They take the picture. They they give you a, you know, um, uh, a code to plug in and you find your picture on the Internet. And that's the that's it. You take two pictures just in case somebody's blinking. The whole family's out there. That's it. No freebies. Let's get this thing moving. All right, that's my rant on the draft. At least that's why I think these picks were behind. And, you know, and I love the league that they're holding up the jersey, the kid. It's not just some nameless jersey. The folks at Nike had a hot press back there. Just in case you're wondering how the commissioner was holding up a jersey with the names of the kid that had just been traded for. How did they have that? How did Fletcher Cox hold up an Eagles jersey with his name and the Eagles font on the back? Well, Nike, which is making the jerseys now, they had a hot press back there. So that's how... The league was trying to be current, and and I think this is going to be a tweak. This will be a fix for the next one, but at least we uh, baby steps because we we put the drama back in. Man, that first round was awesome. We had no idea who was coming because we didn't see anybody in the back with a phone or on Skype with a phone. Loved it. Big fix. Loved it. I hope you did too. 
Hope you did too. Um, and we're going to do our best to break this draft down as best we can with the man, Mike Mayock. Once again, across the board, blogs, critics, number one. The best. Nobody better. He's a machine. He is a machine. He knows this backwards and forwards, up and down. He lives it. He breathes it. He talks to general managers and scouts. That's why he's not on Twitter, by the way. Man doesn't tweet because um, he's honestly too busy. It's not that he doesn't want to connect with fans. That's not it. He's a scout at heart. He's hardcore. He's not doing this to be self-promotional, which is technically what many people are on Twitter for. I mean, let's be honest. He's hardcore. I don't know what I'd do without him. And that's no knock on anybody else. I mean, Charles Davis is a is a first round draft choice too. All the analysts are, but no nobody touches Mike Mayock on any network. And 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 I I think anybody would agree. <laughs> I haven't asked Mel Kiper that, but uh, it's the truth. I'm biased. The guy is a, a machine, and he's going to join us in a minute. Um, we're going to have a podcast every week in May. We're trying our best special podcast coming, uh, middle of May. I'm, I'm emceeing Emmett Smith's charity tournament, uh, golf tournament dinner in Dallas. He's having a 20th anniversary of the first Cowboys championship team in 92. Can you believe it's been 20 years? So I'm going to be in Dallas and take the time to sit down Emmett, Irvin and Aikman together. The triplets podcast. Boom. That's the middle of May. Uh, Peter Berg, the director, big giant fan, Friday Night Lights, television um, producer, creator in many ways. Um, He'll be joining the podcast next week, and we've got uh, other more fun guests coming. But this is the way to get get through the draft the week afterwards with the one and only, the man, Mike Mayock. This is going to be fun, folks. I'm pleased to dedicate this entire podcast to one guest, and he's the man of the hour because the draft has come and gone, and I could not be more pleased to have him on, especially since I'm sure he would like to be on the first tee somewhere, but he's uh, kind enough to take some time to run by uh, this 2012 draft uh, with all of you through this podcast. Mike Mayock, good to see you, sir. Hey, Rich, what a great job you did the other, the whole weekend, pal. And I gotta, I'm not even, I'm being honest. Thank it, you. It just... It, it's a mind-boggling situation where you're talking about 253 kids and 32 teams, and I don't know if people understand how quickly things changed the other night, and you had to kind of be the traffic cop there, so I give you a ton of credit. Well, man. thank you. It's much easier uh, to have you and everybody else sitting there as well, um, so right back at you in that respect. <laughs> and it, and, and, and it, let's start there because – Thursday night, the first round could not have been more unique in the fact that uh, some picks were delayed because of how fast things were going. Now, that sounds really strange. It's like counterintuitive. It's just like if you want to hit a golf ball far, you should swing easier, you know. And and so uh, in that respect, there was one there were a few times where the commissioner had some picks in his back pocket because of how fast things were going. Uh, and I think that had to do with it because of all the trades that you, when you trade for somebody, you know, who you're going to take, you don't use the full 10 minutes. You just go and pull the trigger 16 of the 32 first round picks. Mike changed hands. Um, why do you think that was the case on Thursday night? 
I thought it was the kind of draft, Rich, for the two, two, for two reasons. Number one, I don't think it was as deep a draft as the last couple of years. And I think certain teams kind of targeted players that fit what they did, their scheme, and the kind of player they wanted. And I think that old draft value trading chart that we used to hold so religiously, I think that's gone out the window. I think teams are willing to say, yeah, I'll take a fourth to move down three slots. or Anything that makes sense, I think teams are more open to. Uh, and to me, the CBA, the change in the CBO, that, that's huge. And it might not be huge going, say, from four to three like Cleveland did. Or, you know, even with Jacksonville going from seven to five. But make no mistake about it, going from 14 like Dallas did to six in the old days would have been just huge dollar differential. Huge. And now that you don't have to deal with that, I think it's a lot easier to be aggressive and go get your guy. Because at this point, it's less about the money and just more about the draft picks. Yeah, I mean, so Dallas, if it was last year even or two years ago, I mean, maybe Jerry Jones would have done it because obviously Arthur Blank uh, okayed what the what the Falcons did last year to jump up 21 spots to Julio Jones. But there would have to – I would definitely say in the old way of doing things, which is only last year, 14 to 6, there would be many teams, no matter how great of a kid and talented Mo Claiborne is would just have to swallow hard and maybe not even pull the trigger on a deal like that. Think about in the old days where, you know, Matt Ryan and, and Bradford and Jamarcus Russell, they were getting 45 to 60 million guaranteed as the first pick. And the first 10 picks were kind of out of whack with 11 to 32. So you, if you're moving from 14 to six and, 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 Let's even go back further, Rich. I mean, what was the intention of all the drafts and all of pro sports from day one? It was to try and even the playing field for the teams that didn't play well the year before. And what was happening in the NFL is teams felt like it was a penalty to be drafting early. Because if you missed with that kid tied into 25 to $50 million, you were done mm-hmm. from a salary cap perspective. So... I don't think there's any way in the world teams would be willing to go from 27 to 6 or 14 to 6 or whatever uh, unless the CBA had changed. So you think this is what we saw Thursday night is the future of the NFL draft? Well, I think it opens up a lot of doors that weren't before. And like I said, to go for Tampa to, to excuse me, for um, Dallas to go from 4 to 3 mm-hmm. is no big deal or right. 7 to 5, you could have done it. But 14 to 6, that, that's tough. So, yeah, Rich, I, I really believe going forward we're going to see more teams move aggressively from out of the top 10 into the top 10. So let's start there. Morris Claiborne uh, is now a, a Dallas Cowboy uh, when they went from 14 to 6. How impactful do you think his drafting will be when we see the season open up with the Cowboys at the Giants and then the Cowboys moving forward? Well, I've been a big believer for the last six or seven years that the Cowboys' downfall has been the defensive backfield. I've been even more critical of the safety position. So when they moved up to 14-6, to six, I don't know if you remembered it, but I said it's either going to be Claiborne or Barron. Right. You know, I wasn't sure which one they were going with there. 
And I, I think the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the, and the uh, and Jacksonville were had a little nervousness there too. But yeah, Shiano, uh, Shiano came on our coverage on Saturday and said that when the Cowboys traded up, they swallowed really hard because they had already gone from five <laughs> down to seven, and now here come the Cowboys up at six. Shiano was he said he definitely swallowed real hard. I felt the same way. Like I said, I felt the big hole on the Dallas Cowboys, maybe even go back 10 or 12 years, has been the play at the safety position. I kind of feel like they'd have played in a Super Bowl or two if they had a quality group of defensive backs back there. So they let's face it, they've upgraded some talent there. Mike Jenkins is going into his last year. We've all talked about the other issues in that backfield. So Mo Claiborne steps in day one. And he's expected to be a primetime player immediately. And uh, what do you make of Barron then, who, who uh, was the apple of Tampa's eye? That's what uh, Shiano said, that they were going from five down to seven, figuring Barron would be there. And that was the guy they targeted all along. How, how do you think he fits into what they were going to do now in Tampa and, and how impactful he can be? I actually loved what Tampa did, both in free agency and the draft, Rich. I mean, you look at free agency, and they get Vincent Jackson, the best wide receiver in the draft, to help complement their young quarterback. Uh, they get Carl Nix, maybe the best free agent guard out there. Uh, their offensive line might be one of the best in the NFL right now. So you start building inside out. Their defensive line's talented, too. So what I love about this draft is Shiano's a tough, physical guy. So the safety position is more important than it was five years ago. We've seen what's going on in the league with tight ends and the pass-first attitude. So Mark Barron at number seven brings a degree of physicality and ability to cover and ability to drop down in nickel and dime packages and cover different type players. At Alabama, he covered tight ends and running backs in their dime package. So what I loved about the whole thing was the extra picks they got for trading back that were able to use again to come back up to the end of the first round and get Doug Martin, my second-rated running back. So all of a sudden, Tampa Bay, I think, fills in the holes at a Pro Bowl level in free agency and then comes back and trades down and back up again to get two first-round picks that are plug, play, physical, tough. I, I, I think Tampa Bay is a playoff team. I, I, I'm telling you right now. Even in that division, where, which sent uh, both the Saints and the Falcons to the playoffs last year. I'm going to say it again. I think okay. Tampa Bay is a playoff team. I, I mean, that's how impressed I am, Rich. I, and I recognize the strength of that division. Keep in mind, both Atlanta and New Orleans had holes in the draft this year. Neither of them had a first-round pick. So I think it's one of the few divisions – where an also-ran gained a lot of yardage in free agency in the draft against the incumbents. Well, well let's uh, dig into some of these uh, uh, drafts team by team in, in some respects. Which, which team also di- uh, distinguished itself with a draft last week? Well, th- there's several. I mean, let's stay with the same theme for a second with uh, trading down in the first round and back up into it later. I, I got a kick out of Minnesota. I mean, I think they totally bluffed what they were doing with that third pick. <laughs> you know, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think anybody was coming up. And uh, God bless them. And, and I don't have a problem with Cleveland giving away three picks to, to get their guy because their guy, they believe, is so special, and as I believe. So they got Trent Richardson, meaning Cleveland. I loved what Minnesota did. They moved down the four. They get Matt Khalil. And then they come back into the end of the first round and get a safety 
Rich, they haven't had a safety there in a lot of years, right. man. There's a big hole. And after Harrison Smith, there was no starting safeties until Brandon Taylor, and even he's kind of a question mark. So uh, I really liked what they did. And we can get into a bunch more different kind of moves, but but th- up top, I love Tampa Bay and I loved Minnesota because they manipulated the board, they got the guys they wanted, and then they come back up and they poached at the end of the first round. What about the two teams that uh, dove out of the first round, that traded out of the first round in Baltimore and Denver? Why do you think uh, that happened? Well, I, it all depends when you're – Remember, they were at, what, 25 and 29. Denver was 25. Baltimore was 29. And at that point, depending on what's left at your board, if, if you got a guy or two you like, you're going to sit there and take them. If your board's decimated, you're looking for a partner to get out and accumulate an extra pick or two. So I think Baltimore was really fortunate. They traded out and they ended up with Courtney Upshaw in the second round and Coleccio Semele an offensive lineman from Iowa State. So I think Baltimore was really happy with that. Denver traded twice, if I remember correctly. I think they went from 25 to 31 to, to 35 or 6, wherever they ended up. Um, they took the defensive tackle, Dirk Wolf from Cincinnati, and accumulated extra picks and ended up getting a quarterback, Brock Osweiler, in the second round, who they believe they're going to develop into the successor to Peyton Manning. So, I, I, I love watching how t- what teams do and try to figure out what the reasons they're doing it for. And it's kind of cool to look at teams that move back up and then teams that move out for different reasons. Osweiler, real quick, how do you uh, view his development? Because clearly the, the Broncos, uh, hoping against hope, that Manning will return to the Mount Rushmore capabilities that we've come right. to know and love from him. So you're talking 2015, 2016, hoping that Osweiler is ready to go. Do you see uh, that happening in the Rocky Mountains? Well, as we've talked about for the last month, Rich, the the numbers aren't really good for non-first-round quarterbacks turning into starters someday. However, you got to draft the best you can and find a kid that you believe you can groom. Osweiler only has 15 starts in college football. He's a big, powerful kid with better feet than you would think for a six foot seven athlete. Um, he's got a big arm. I was told by three or four different teams. I never met the kid. I was told that he's intelligent in the meeting rooms, a football junkie, understands schemes and coverages. So if that's all true, it sounds to me like they've got a guy they can groom because he's got physical talent and, and he really cares about it. And, you know, who wouldn't want to learn behind Peyton Manning? And talking about teams trading up in the first round, that's somewhat rare. Both New England and Green Bay did exactly that. And New England, everyone figured, ah, you know what, they're at 31. Somebody's going to hop up at the end of the first round and want someone at 31. And then Belichick's going to wind up with multiple first-round picks again next year. Instead, they used uh, pretty much everything else other than their second-round choices to move up twice and get two guys that they can get ready for football this fall with in their front seven. And again, I, I, I love those two moves. And part of the reason is I love the two players they got. You know, if I didn't love them, I'd probably be killing them. But, <laughs> you know, atypical of Bill Belichick, you know, everybody assumes he's moving down and out. If you look at that offense, it's obviously Super Bowl ready. It carried them to one last year. So that offense is ready to go. I mean, that's... There's not a whole lot more necessary. 
even with the retirement of their left tackle. They're good to go, you know. So defensively is what they had to augment. And I went on the record before the draft as saying I thought that the defensive end from Syracuse, Chandler Jones, who was number nine on my board, I think three years from now he might be the best defensive end in football. I mean, who knows? I, I, I believe that strongly. He might be the best defensive player that comes out of this draft. So I love that pick. And I thought the Hightower thing was a no-brainer. He, he's – you want to talk about somebody who's, like, right up Bill Belichick's alley. Mm-hmm. It's this kid. So, um, I thought they were two – anytime you can get two starters in your front seven on a defense that needs help, that's a, that's a huge win. So, let's talk about a, a couple more teams. St. Louis had a major opportunity this year. Obviously, we know what they did with the RG3 pick and get some future considerations in the first round, not only next year, but – also, the year after that, but they traded down again out of the sixth spot. They were the trading partner for Dallas, so they got a second-round choice from Dallas from there, which gave them not one, not two, but three second-round choices this year. And they still got Michael Brockers at one. And then, obviously, they needed to have a hit at their third-round selection, too, because of the lack of depth on the team. All said and done, Les Need and Jeff Fisher, with this major opportunity, filled in the blanks. What do you think about the names that they filled in? Well, I'll tell you, I've known Les Need for a long time since he was with Atlanta. You know, and Atlanta under Thomas Dimitrov was a fairly conservative organization where you had to be careful with character. Um, you couldn't draft a bunch of bad character. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going and, now. <laughs> well, what, what's... What's interesting, and again, I say this with all due respect, I really like Les, and it's he gets his first shot. He was like a kid in a candy store, man. <laughs> I mean, and, he, and I think Jeff Fisher is a willing partner. And I'm going to tell you right now, they drafted a bunch of first-round talents. I mean, you know, Brockers is a big-time potential as a defensive tackle, and that's a huge position of need for them. Now, they go into the second round, and they start with the Appalachian State wide receiver, Brian Quick. Now, Quick doesn't have off-the-field issues, but, but, and he's a height-weight-speed guy, but he's raw. It's going to take him a little time, but I think they believe that in today's football, you get a big wide receiver outside the numbers and throw the ball up, he's going to win his percentage of balls. Okay, I can go with that. You know, then they take Janoris Jenkins. Now, maybe the most troubled kid in the draft, as we all know, well-chronicled. I knew he'd go somewhere in the second round. That's fine. So they get a first-round corner talent in the second round, risk-reward, buyer beware, whatever, however you want to caveat it. Then they get Isaiah Pede, one of the most talented running backs. You want to talk about a gifted foot athlete with great return skills. I applaud that pick all day long. And they come back in the third round and get Trumaine Johnson from Montana, who's another first-round talent with off-the-field issues. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, how are they going to, you know, how do you – how do you follow that up? And yeah. in the fourth round, they get Chris Givens from Wake Forest, who's probably a second-round talent, but he has all kinds of off-the-field issues. So they go quick, Jenkins, Pede, Johnson, and Givens. Those five players are really, really gifted. Three of them are red flags off the field. One of them is raw, and I love Pede. But what I'm telling you, Rich, there are five players there that have huge talent. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch whether they can develop – stay clean off the field, and become big-time players. And then Cincinnati as well um, had a great draft last year. In many ways, you could say their draft put them in the playoffs since it was A.J. Green and Andy Dalton who did just that. 
Uh, and now this year they have two ones because of the Carson Palmer trade. They were one of the trade partners for uh, the New England Patriots, and Michael Lombardi had fun with that, with what he said in our draft coverage, that when you make a trade with Mike Brown, you, you save that draft card because he so rarely <laughs> pulls the trigger on something like that. Uh, what do you make of the Bengals and their selections with a team that's already young and talented and was the sixth seed in the playoffs last year? Uh, you know, they take a lot of heat, and, and Michael Lombardi was right. They rarely, rarely ever move. They've taken a lot of heat regarding draft moves in the past. I got to give them some credit. You know, I said it on the air the other day, Rich, a year ago, A.J. Green at four held their water. Their quarterback was there in the second round. They lead them, those two youngsters lead them into the playoffs. They come back this year and they turn, I almost fell over when they traded with New England. They trade back, <laughs> you know, I mean, they get Drake Kirkpatrick, the last of the first round corners at 17. They trade back from 21 to 28 and get Kevin Zeitler. Let me tell you something. The Zeitler is probably as good as DeCastro. Different style of player, but he's a plug-and-play starter day one. So they get the starting guard they really do need. Then in the second round, they get Devin Still, a first-round talent defensive tackle out of Penn State. I'll tell you, Mike Zimmer's done pretty well with some of the guys that I, I called motivational issue guys coming out of college. A uh, kid from Georgia Tech, Michael Johnson, I, I wasn't high on him. They got him in the third round. He's become productive. Kid from Florida, Dunlop, I didn't like him. He's become pretty productive. And that's what this still kid is. He's gifted, but I get, I'm going to guess Mike Zimmer gets it out of him. And then in the third round, they come back and they get Mohamed Sanu. They needed another wide out badly from Rutgers. And they get Brandon Thompson, who I had a, a really solid second-round grade on, as another defensive tackle. So, you know, I'm, I kind of sit back and go, I, 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 let's, let's bang the door and say way to go, Bengals, because you don't, usually don't get much credit. And they went ahead and, uh, and got Vontae's perfect right after the draft. <laughs> I mean, that kid's got more flags than an amusement park, and, and they went ahead and took him too. And he was high on some people's draft boards and also removed from people's draft boards as well because of what, what we're talking about. But he's a Bengal uh, draft class member as well, technically. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know who had him high on their boards. I right. mean, he, he had a big reputation. Well, I mean, it's in terms of talent, I guess, is the way I wanted to say. Well, well, that's not even true, though, Rich. And I, I said this three months ago, the first time I put tape on. I literally watched his tape without any preconceived notions about what kind of kid he was. I, I was anxious to watch his tape. He's got a big NFL inside linebacker body. I heard a lot about the kid, good and bad. I watched the tape, and he makes a couple flash plays a game, and outside of that, nothing. To me, he I said this three months ago on Path of the Draft. You know, To me, he was a non-draftable kid, and it had nothing to do with his off-the-field issues. And, and then he went to the Combine and posted the worst numbers of any linebacker at the Combine. Then he stuck his foot in his mouth. Hmm. You know, Then he blamed everybody but himself. Um, I hope the kid gets his life straightened out because three years ago he was one of the most highly recruited kids in the country. Uh, and I just wish he'd get to work, shut his mouth, and play. Well, he's got a chance now. I mean, and this is obviously probably his last chance when you figure it out. Um, the Colts, obviously, they need they, they, there's no more bear of a cupboard in the NFL after what happened with the Colts. How do you think they fared in a draft that was um, – the first for, for Ryan Grigson and obviously a crucial one for the organization trying to get better fast. 
Yeah, I, it kind of was what I expected from Ryan and and Chuck Pagano, two goes two guys I know pretty well and have a lot of respect for. You know, after the obvious pick of Luck, uh, what they did with their next three picks were to try to surround him with some talent. And the first two, obviously, were the two best tight ends in the class, which I thought was interesting. You know, Fleener uh, immediately and then Dwayne Allen. So all of a sudden, Jacob Tammy's gone and, and Dallas Clark's gone and you've got their replacements. And then they came back and got T.Y. Hilton. And the reason I really liked that pick was in addition to being – uh, a wide receiver slash slot that runs 4-3. He's also one of the better return guys in football. So I really thought those next three picks after Luck augmented and, and helped Andrew Luck, and then they started to go to work on the defensive front seven. So um, if I may, can I give you a draft that I like, Mike Mayock? Yeah, let me absolutely. Give you, let me give you a draft that I like instead of me just trying to pick your brain I up like and it. down, left and right. I, I like the Bills draft. I'd like what the Bills did. You know, I mean, you take a look, and they got uh, Stephon Gilmore out of South Carolina, 10th overall. Yep. Cordy Glenn is a guy that we were in our mock draft. Um, we had going right in the middle of the first round. They get him at 41. I like Ron Brooks, Zebri Sanders of Florida State in the fifth round. And, again, to my, um, I guess, uh, layman's eye, just watching college football, anybody who plays defense at TCU deserves a look. And Tank Carter uh, not only deserves a look, but I, I love the name for linebacker <laughs> as well. You know, just at that respect, I just sort of like what the Bills did and quietly with a very nice draft, um, putting themselves in position in the second year of Chan Gailey's tenure there to, to be pretty darn good this fall. Yeah, it, it's really that division is of interest to me. You know, you, you, we already talked about New England and what they did with their defense. Uh, Buffalo takes Gilmore. And I thought they might go Keekley or uh, Mark Barron, but they were both gone at that point. So they take the longest corner in the draft who might end up having to cover tight ends going forward in New England. Uh, I really like the two offensive linemen. Position of need. Cordy Glenn can play right tackle or inside. Zebri Sanders is a left tackle that slid a little bit just because of a lack of consistency, not because of a lack of talent. And then, as you said, Tank Carter, he's one of the more instinctive inside linebackers in the draft. Dave Wanstatt will love him. He'll get it, even though he's only a fifth-round pick. The kid will get everybody lined up. He'll be the first guy in the building. He'll play all four special teams. He's just a, a good guy to have around. And if I remember correctly, I think they got a couple wideouts later also. Yes, they Reshaw, did. Reshaw Matthews maybe late. Well, they got, TJ, they got T.J. Graham in the third round, which is, right. which is pretty darn good. And, you know, and, 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 and with the Bills, and you mentioned the, the division, um, the East, obviously everybody's talking about the Dolphins with Tannehill. And, and that's, you know, we, we discussed that you, uh, everybody on our set that, that Tannehill will not start the season. It'll probably be more and that Tannehill may get a, uh, a sniff when things start during the season. The Jets, too. I mean, the Jets go Copels and Hill to start with Demario Davis of Arkansas State. And uh, I know I don't want to bring the name up to you because it was like waving a, a flag in front of a, a red flag in front of a bull <laughs> during our during our three days of draft coverage. There has been a discussion that you take a look at this draft and that the Jets essentially drafted players for their Tebow package. There's been a, a, a serious discussion about that. And I'm wondering if you care to entertain that discussion as we just quickly hit the Jets draft. 
here's what you, I have no problems talking about Tim Debo when it relates to football, yes. to, to direct football. I have problems when it's gratuitous, just so we can somehow bring him into the conversation. <laughs> well, that, that, I, I did. I did it. Yes, this is a football discussion then, straight football. So I look. At, here's how I look at their picks. I mean, Copels is boomer bust, and I've said it from day one. I think that Rex Ryan will get the most out of him. Mike Pettin. I highly respect as their defensive coordinator. I, so if you get what you can out of Copels, you got, you got a big play. You got a big player. Uh, Stephen Hill is another height, weight, speed freak. Oh, my goodness. And you had one of the best comments of the combine when you said Jet fans, he's either Calvin Johnson or who? Johnny Lamb you know, Jones? Yeah, the, the, depending on what, you know, Jet fans are either really optimistic or typically pessimistic. And they look at Stephen Hill and they say that he is either – the next Calvin Johnson or the next Johnny Lamb Jones. There's no gray area in, in, in the Jet fan mind with him. And, but right. he, did, he did blow the doors off the combine, and the last player that the Jets sort of – who did that, that the Jets took, uh, was, uh, was their tight end, and um, uh, Dustin Keller. You know? So right. maybe, maybe he can contribute uh, just there. Uh, and he is a guy who's from the same college that Demarius Thomas is from, and he you know, took one of the house in the Tebow system last year. So, yeah, you know, and again, I think we're reaching a little bit there as far as the whole drafting for Tim Tebow. I think they're drafting for the New York Jets. I think the, the Tim Tebow package or ho- however they incorporate him in, I, I like it because I think it causes defensive coordinators angst. Every defensive coordinator I've ever met in the National Football League has been spoiled by what they but by what little they have to prepare for in the run game. The pass game's crazy. It's sophisticated as hell. But the run game in the NFL is, ne- is, is unimaginative except for the teams that run a little wildcat. Or, so the whole option thing, defensive coordinators hate. So if the Jets have that, it is a weapon. I don't care what anybody says. I, I like that the Jets' offense will have that. Now, just because Stephen Hill was a wide receiver at Georgia Tech – which ran option, I don't think has anything to do with why they drafted him other than he's a height, weight, speed freak that if you throw the ball up in the air in the red zone or outside the numbers, he might come down with it. So he's special. As, as we wind down our conversation, uh, I want to hit just on some specific players. And we, we could go uh, about uh, specific players on offense in the first round that I'm really eager to see um, play in the league this year, these, these young kids. Uh, Richardson is obviously one, Michael Floyd being another to see how he develops in Arizona across from Larry Fitzgerald. But here's one that I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about. And I'm talking about San Francisco with this smash mouth mentality. You've got a coach who throws tackles out there, eligible left and right. They go ahead and sign Brandon Jacobs to an, or, a rushing attack that's already hitting you in the mouth with Frank Gore. I really am excited to see what LaMichael James is going to look like in this 49ers offense, and I'm wondering what you think they could do with this young man this fall. I think it was pretty obvious when you look at their first two-round picks, Rich. I mean, the first round was A.J. Jenkins, and the second round was LaMichael, LaMichael James. And what they're trying to do is inject firepower into their offense, and I think that is really smart because – they're winning games the hard way right now. They're winning games by playing great defense and not turning the ball over on offense and playing field position. And they were the best team in the league at turnover differential. When that turnover differential changes up, your margin of error goes way down. So 
You need somebody who can gulp big yards. I, I felt this year like the three most exciting kind of scat back slot receiver type guys were LaMichael James, Isaiah Pede, and Chris Rainey. And uh, LaMichael James went in the second. Uh, Pede either went in the second or third. And then Rainey went in the fifth to Pittsburgh. And by the way. Yeah, what I about the fifth? St- that's going to be fifth round. I thought, and by the way, that's off the field issues are the only reason he's in the fifth. That not only does this kid return punts and kickoffs, he's also he can also be a gunner and a jammer. He he blocks punts, he blocks extra points and field goals, and you can line him up at tailback and slot. And he went in the fifth round because of off the so, you know. I, and by the way, the Steelers I thought had one of the better drafts in the league that nobody's really talking much about. They got two first round talented offensive linemen in the first two rounds, which was their biggest need. So. Uh, I loved what Pittsburgh did, and you're right, Rich. LaMichael James in San Francisco, along with A.J. Jenkins, the mm-hmm. first-round pick, provides a completely different dimension. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And Obviously, the Seahawks, what they did, we'll see what they do with Russell Wilson. If they have a package for him, I, 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 don't, I don't know. We, we, we talked about that up and down, left and right, during our, our draft coverage in Irvin. Um, taking him 15th overall definitely raised some eyebrows. Which do you yeah. think – Irvin, Kirk Cousins, and Washington. My gosh, we talked about that left and right during our, our coverage of the draft. Which one uh, leaves you sort of scratching your head a little bit if there's any pick from this past weekend? Well, I, I thought the biggest surprise of the first round was Irvin at 15. Mm-hmm. And I had spoken to – the night before the draft, I probably spoke to five general managers, and we talked about how high can this kid go because we all knew – he was a first-round talent. And what I think is intriguing is that five to ten years ago, you couldn't take him in the first round. Forget off the field for a second. You know, ten years ago, you couldn't take a situational pass rusher in the first round because he wouldn't get enough snaps. Now, with the pass-first mentality throughout the league, look at Alden Smith a year ago, who goes at number seven. Alden Smith had, what, 13 sacks or something crazy? And this kid's going to do the same thing. He's going to come in as a situational pass rusher. He's going to line out real wide. And every left or right tackle in the league is going to be scared to death when he's coming off the edge. He, he runs 4-4. Four, four. The, the, the issue is going to be he can't be on the field against run because he's going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And Pete, Pete better do a great job. Pete Carroll and John Schneider making sure this kid's infrastructure is put together because he's had a lot of problems. Now, Mike, one of the things uh, as I uh, get ready to say goodbye to you, which is tough to do because I know that there's tons of people who are listening to this or watching it right now saying, how could you not hit my team? Well, you just can't sit here and hit all 32 teams and all 250-some-odd draft picks either. But the thing that we take our cue from with you and how you go about your business and how you do your job is you don't play Holy Roman Emperor which is pick is it in, you give either the thumbs up or you throw it to the Lions right on the spot, that this is, a, this is an evaluation that continues for years. And that said, I did sort of say early on that the Bengals draft last year, just with the two kids they took, A.J. Green and Dalton, I don't think there's any question they, they, they don't make the playoffs if they don't pick those two kids. First blush, looking over this, is there a team, and if so, which one? do you think may have just put themselves in the playoffs based on if the two guys that they took, they boom. Is it Cleveland with, with Richardson and Whedon? 
Is it uh, something less obvious? Which which team, if you can give me one, might have just done what the Bengals did last year? Well, I think Richardson gives them a chance because their defense is so good. However, that division is so darn tough. I don't think Cleveland's a playoff team this year. I mentioned to you earlier in the podcast that the team I've been most impressed with in, in, for the entire offseason, because let's face it, that's what this is about. It's about the entire offseason, where you went from at the end of last year to the first time you put the pads on this year. To me, it's Tampa Bay. I mean, Vincent Jackson at wide receiver, Carl Nix at guard, and now all of a sudden Mark Barron in the secondary and Doug Martin at tailback. And if Josh Freeman becomes the quarterback we saw emerging two years ago, in a tough division, I think they're a playoff team. I, I really like what Tampa Bay's done. That would be the team, I would tell you, Rich, where the combination of free agency and draft has taken a non-playoff team and put them right in the hunt for a playoff spot. You're the man, Mike Mayock. I don't know what I'd do without you. I'll be very honest. I mean, I did spend more time with you last week than I did my wife and my entire family. <laughs> so maybe that's what that has to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure Susie was real happy about it either. <laughs> She was definitely not happy about what you said when I said I got a manicure. And I know your sister wasn't happy about that. You know, I know you said that. She texted you, you know. Yeah, but people don't understand that I was just teasing you because it was fun. Well, people take this. I, I don't need to tell it's you. Nine, take nine hours of television. Nine hours. If you don't laugh a couple times, we got no shot. Well, that's so. why I went nuts when Brian Anger, the punter, got drafted. Because, you know, punters are people, too, Mike. Punters are I do know that. Too. They are people, I do too. Know that. What do you uh, – uh, before I let you go, you're wearing a Villanova T-shirt. I know you're a Philly guy. I mean, uh, is there anything more significant about wearing the Villanova T-shirt? My son, Michael's a defensive back for the Wildcats, so uh, I'm a huge supporter. They won go. the national championship two years ago. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So Howie Long, of- Howie Long must be a proud, uh, a proud alum, right? Howie and I have – believe it or not – I was Howie's host at Boston College in 1976. <laughs> no way. And he originally verbally committed. He had such a good time, he verbally committed to BC, changed his mind, and we've been friends ever since then. So we used to work out together when I came home for the summers at Villanova. And we've been buddies ever since then. And he texts my son now all the time and, you know, about Villanova. I mean, it's really cool. Howie's a very, very loyal Villanova guy. Brian Westbrook is a very loyal sure. Villanova guy. Uh, and two years ago, they won a national title, and, and their offensive tackle was the second-round pick of Indianapolis last year, Ben Ijelana. So you got a lot more than you wanted with one simple little question. No, no, there. I love it. I love it. Did you ever hear Rod Woodson's recruiting story at Arizona State? Did I ever tell you no. that story? Real, no. Real quick, um, yeah, the, you know, he's Mr. <laughs> Indiana. He, he, you know, he's, yeah. So there was only one out-of-state school he even considered to go to and it was Arizona State you know the the sun and and the campus and all that stuff so he went down there he doesn't remember the name of of the guy who was his sponsor uh on the trip but that guy picked him up at the airport and instead of taking him to campus and showing him around he took him to the movie theater to see Gandhi (laughs) and Rod said as soon as he got out of the theater he said take me back to the airport and flew away. So I, anytime I meet Sun Devil fans, I'm like, you could have had an all-world future Hall of Fame guy if if only somebody wasn't like a big fan of pacifism and film, you know. <laughs> so is that what you did with Howie? Did you take him to the movies? Is that is that why he didn't go to BC? Is that what happened? 
how no no I, totally how he's not now how he doesn't even drink and and somehow he had a couple of beers that weekend and and he did not fare very well at, at the cardinal puff drinking game oh no i love it i love it well hey mike listen enjoy your time your downtime you so deserve it is that basically what you do now i mean uh, so many people want probably want to know what, what what your life is like after you just immerse yourself in this stuff i mean what, what do you do the next few weeks and months before the season i officially disappear i'm i'm gonna go play some golf this weekend with three of my younger brothers and i'm gonna forget about this draft for about a month okay well you deserve it mike and thank you for coming on the podcast before before ghosting we appreciate it you got it man you are the best that is the emmy nominated mike mayock joining me here on the rich eisen podcast that's the man there he is off to play golf god bless him Mike Mayock, I want to thank um, Chris Brockman uh, for coming in this week. <laughs> we didn't expect to do this. I'm so tired, but I wanted to. I wanted to uh, to chat with Mike, and I wanted to get something on the draft up. Like I told you, there's going to be a triplets podcast coming this month. More to come uh, each week. NFL Network Thursdays is when the television version of this airs. Also uh, coming to a head is the Step in Rich's Shoes promotion. Go to my blog page, richeisen.nfl.com, to find out how you can be a guest on this podcast. And uh, Chris Brockman is getting in my ear right now. What's the international shout out of the week? What do you got? Oh, he's not. You want to come in here and tank, commandeer the mic? He's going to come in here. Get in here, Brockman, while I finish up here. He's so upset. He's in the TV studio right now. He wants to give the international shout out of the week. He's, he's self promotional at Chris underscore Brockman. I want to thank Chris Law also, who last week uh, got. Please be louder coming in here, Chris Brockman. Uh, Chris Law last week helped put the podcast together. If you missed last week's television version of Dennis Leary and the Commissioner and Seth Myers, it's on my blog page, richeisen.nfl.com. Please go there to find out how you can become a guest here in studio if you can make it uh, or on Skype for those international folks. We're not leaving you out. Right, Chris Brockman? Come here. What do you got? Of course. I would never leave out our international followers of the week. North American edition. Shout out to Mexico. Appreciate you guys. Very good. Um, very good. North America. Mexico. North America. So you give him a shout out to uh, our, our um, fans of very Mexican listeners. <laughs> good. With that, Chris Brockman comes in and says the word Mexico and leaves. Very good. Uh, Pete Berg next week. Again, the Step in Rich's Shoes promotion. You can win my 40-yard dash shoes autographed. And um, I want to thank Mike Mayotte for, again, taking the time. That's it. Peace out. Stay listening.